Well, hello, this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today's podcast recorded on a bright early spring, late morning, April, here in the Pacific Northwest, state of Washington, a quote-unquote blue state, although there's many residents of Washington who do not vote blue at all. I'm one that's, you know, kind of tempted at times to not vote blue, but then there's this like, you know, if you, well, if you don't vote for that one, then, then the other one will win, the red one. Like, ah, I don't know about them winning, you know. I, I, I liked Adam Kinzinger, but he's, he's not from Washington. I think he was from New York. He had an R next to his name, but the organization excommunicated him because he uh, spoke out against one uh, famous game show host guy who prior to becoming a game show host was a famous con man. Adam Kinzinger, who had an R next to his name and is a congressman, was willing to say the truth about that particular person, who at the time was indeed the 45th president of the United States of America. Prior to that was a game show host. Prior to that was a famous con man. He was in the news every time he bankrupted a company, or was getting sued, or was cheating on his wives, or was saying something stupid, or advocating racism. He would make the news. That's kind of what he was famous for. He had a lot of wealth, and he had his name in, written in gold, you know, on the top of a big, tall building. If you want to go to the Trump Tower in Vegas, keep in mind that it doesn't have a casino in it, and it's nowhere near the Strip. So if you're like, oh, it, it says it's, you know, Vegas, and it's close to the Strip, eh, you know, close-ish. Compared to, like, where I'm at right now, it's close to the Strip, but... Yeah, you're definitely going to want to take a taxi because you're definitely going to not want to walk from Trump Tower, Vegas to the Strip. That's a long-ass ways, you know, in Vegas, no less, too. And I think you'd even have to cross the Spaghetti Bowl, too, to get to it. I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere, island unto itself. And again, no casino there. It's kind of a rarity. They have casinos in the grocery store in Vegas, but the Trump Tower does not have a gaming license. It was not a choice they made or something. You know, let's be unique. Let's have a hotel in Vegas with no casino in it. No, it's this because his previous casino we ran in Atlantic City was run corruptly, and so it lost its gaming license. It was basically engaged in overt money laundering. You know, the house always wins, but it, it's not supposed to win in that way. You know, so. Anywho, you know that particular guy, man, it's uh, it's it's kind of it, it's very much an American story now. You know, it kind of was this sort of, you know, C-list or D-list kind of story, tabloid story for many a decade. But then it became more mainstream because he became the host of a game show, and then even more mainstream when he started saying really racist stuff, and and, and blatantly, you know. This particular person who's the president now, he's not an American. He wasn't born in America because, yeah, you know, and that's, that's where the racism kicks in, the rhetoric that I'm not going to regurgitate, but, yeah, it, Donald Trump didn't want a black man to be president, and so he found some, he, he tried to find something to delegitimize it or something, but it, there was nothing. Hawaii is a U.S. state. It's not one of the uh, ones in the 48. The uh, dang it, that word is not on the tip of my tongue. 
Kung, shit, anyway, <laughs> continental U.S., the 48, it's different, it's outside of that, uh, but it, it still is one of the 50, and it was one at the time that Barack Obama was born there. His mom was also born in Kansas, and she was a white lady. Not sure if that makes any difference, but it doesn't matter where your parents are born. It's where you were born, you know. So I don't know why that was con lost on Trump there, but he tried to find something. The the weird part was news rolling with it and airing it as news. Hey, the famous wealthy white guy who's the host of a game show is saying racist stuff. Let's air it on the news while we're trying to eat dinner. And, but then it becomes a political movement. And then the, the Republican organization decides to embrace it and invite it into their campaign. That particular person, one Donald John Trump, had run as a Democrat and Reform Party, and it was never really taken too seriously because he's a famous con man. That's not a really a political statement. I knew Donald John Trump was a con man even when he had a D next to his name that stood for Democrat. Yeah, he, he claimed to be a, you know, he, he'll go with whatever one seems to be. So he was a Democrat, I think, during the Clinton years. He was a Republican, again, during the George W. Bush years, you know. And then he obviously stayed Republican during the Barack Obama years, because Barack Obama was black. Yeah, African-American. That's why Donald Trump didn't like him. Uh, it's pretty transparent and kind of, I don't really get the like trying to kind of find how it's how his language and the entire foundation of his campaign wasn't racism it, it, it gets very confusing and, and uncomfortable um, I'm a white person so needless to say I've had many an interaction with white people who you know supported the Trump thing the quote-unquote I like what he says thing you know he's, he's advocating racism and violence and religious suppression and people like that. They dig it. They, they want that. Not democracy. Not democracy, but something different. They like what he says. He's advocating violence. He's aspiring to be Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. Those are his heroes. Not Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, and Dwight D. Eisenhower, who are my three favorite Republican presidents, and, you know, probably three of my favorite of all time. I was born on February 22, 1980. So that's the uh, same, 222 is the same birthday as uh, George Washington. So I was, he's kind of a default favorite as well. I used to always call him my favorite. The first one who had the chance to serve more than two terms if he really wanted to. There was a lot of push to do that and to have him be more of almost a king status, just like England. But that was not what he fought for. So he turned down any chance to go more than two. And that became the standard right off the bat that two would be kind of the max, and then eventually it was lit much, much later after, you know, it was tested with uh, Franklin Roosevelt going more than two terms. They changed it after that. Two is plenty, eight years. That's, that's plenty of time for a person to have that level of power. I think there should be the same for senators to whatever, whatever term it is. You've got to come up with a term limit. There should also be term limits for Supreme Court justices. That's much longer, 25 years. You know, something like similar to the military where you serve in a certain period of time, you, you earn retirement, and maybe a, a smidge beyond that. But So there's some sort of transition period or something. But, you know, we, we, 
The Trump era revealed uh, there is uh, a lot of weaknesses, many, many weaknesses within our current system. Many strengths as well, though. That, I mean, the system was able to not allow that particular person to serve another term. However, he, he was almost allowed to. He was allowed to the first time, even though, you know, the system kind of chose him, but wasn't able to correct its mistake. You know, the, the people made the correct choice. They didn't choose him. That That's more, it's who they chose instead is almost irrelevant. Any of the other candidates, plural, were better than Donald John Trump in 2016. Candidates, plural. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just one on the ballot. It wasn't just two names listed on the ballot in 2016. There was a whole slew of names. For whatever reason, media refused to tell us about them. Or told us very little about them. Heard a little bit here and there about Gary Johnson from the Libertarian ticket. But then he had one snafu where he didn't know the name of Aleppo. And that was the specific name of a city that was in Syria that was being bombed. The way the news had been talking about the Syrian story, though, they hadn't really been mentioning the specific name Aleppo a lot. They were more mentioning that the president of Syria was murdering his peoples. What specific town it was in, that kind of little, got a little lost in a bit. But needless to say, that one specific snafu, not knowing the specific town, that was enough to basically eliminate Gary Johnson, libertarian, from contention. For whatever reason... The whole slew of daily shit coming from Trump was never enough to eliminate him from contention because he was already Trump from the get-go. So you already kind of knew what you're getting. And, you know, so there, there isn't really a surprise there, you know, like, oh, my God, he's completely corrupt and inept and racist and vulgar and stupid and doesn't have any inclination to take the job with dignity and respect. Well, yeah, no shit. He's Donald Trump. You know, he, he, it's just an amplified version of the persona he's been for decades. And, and, and now it's with real legitimate power. And so it, there was a lot of kind of knowing exactly what we were getting into. Some people voting for that. They just genuinely loved that type of thing. A completely corrupt, not give a fuck about anyone except himself, racist, advocating violent dipshit. Yeah, they, they liked it. They wanted more of it. And the Republican Party, seeing how much adoration there was coming for that guy, was like, ooh, you know. We got to take this guy on. We're gonna, we're, that's the only way we're going to be able to win that crowd, you know. They're not going to go anyone else. They are loyal to Trump. And so the Republican Party many years ago went all in on Trump. All in. And in the most literal sense of the word, you know, people that spoke out against Trump that were within the organization, they were cast out. January 6th committee had two Republicans on it. They are no longer true members of the organization. They are no longer holding elected office. The organization cast them out. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. They were conservative Republicans, moderate Republicans, whatever adjective you want to put in front of the Republicans, they were, you know, pragmatic Republicans. Liz Cheney voted with Trump, though, 90-something percent of the time, but she couldn't excuse attempting to overthrow the government. But the rest of the organization pretty much did. 
There was a few that voted for impeachment. Many of them are still not, they're not in the organization anymore, the ones that voted for. They were primaried, but then many of the primaried ones didn't get too far. If they were primaried, and then uh, go against the Democrat in the general election, the super-duper Trump candidate against, uh, well, that's the problem, though, is when you swing too far, then you can get, like, you know, the corporate Democrat well, they're left. They're left of the extreme Trump guy. So, so it's less of, I guess, a, in a swing. But it's like, you know, it, it's less idealistic. You know, the corporate Democrat leaves a lot to be desired. But you know, it's like it's at least it's not advocating violence and corruption and catering to the entire inches of the government to not just the wealthy but one specific wealthy person. That's what the Republican Party did for years. Jim Jordan was still doing it a few days ago. He's a congressman from Ohio that felt compelled to use his duties and power as a congressman to be the defense counsel for one Donald John Trump who's facing state criminal charges in New York, along with a slew of other charges and other investigations and other cases still pending. Jim Jordan is a congressman elected to represent the interest of Ohio, and so he traveled to New York to talk about the case, the New York case against one Donald John Trump for committing possible crimes in New York State. Jim Jordan, Ohio congressman. How cool is Ohio with that? It's like, how long is Ohio going to keep doing that kind of stuff, electing J.D. Vance and Jim Jordan over... Whoever cares what letters next to their name, thank goodness. But we only have two, so that's that's all the Republican Party needs to do. That's what many of my conservative friends over the years would do. They would start, if I go in on the Republican Party and say that this is not an option for me, and this is why, they focus on the interests of the wealthy, they cut taxes for the wealthy, big massive corporations, creates a budget deficit, creates the necessity to cut funding to entitlements, as they refer to them, which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, public education, and infrastructure. So none of those legislative things that they do benefit me, the working-class person. So that's why I don't vote for them. Many of my conservative friends, their response to all that would be, Democrat socialism, and... What? Don't vote for the organization that's primarily focused on protecting the interests of the wealthy. And added kicker, they're the organization that bent over backwards to protect the interest of and give power to, unlimited power really, especially during his reign, one Donald John Trump, who at the time that they picked him was a game show host, prior to that was a famous con man. I, as a business major in college at the start of, the co of that stupid show, The Apprentice, never truly understood what it what you know is this satire you know it's not a reality show obviously because donald trump is not a successful businessman he did not have some wow new thing that he created some new highly successful business just before the show and no the producer of the apprentice wanted a business themed game show donald trump had nothing going on at the time banks had stopped lending him money because he had proven to be a completely inept, incompetent businessman. 
we now have records verifying that hypothesis that permeated throughout his tenure in the limelight. He was literally the worst businessman for several years that we have records on in the 1980s, the height of his fame. How so many people heard the story of Trump while it was happening and believed that he was some sort of successful person is very confusing. He had a trust fund created for him at a very young age. By the time he was eight or nine years old, he was a millionaire. He never had to work a day in his life, ever. He never had to work a day in his life. There's a difference between working because you want to stay busy and whatever, and then working because you need to. Okay, I'm, 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 I fall into the latter category there. As an adult, I've needed to work. It's the category that the vast majority of humans living in the United States of America fall into. They must work or else they don't have a place to live. They don't have food to eat. They can't pay any bills. It's kind of a no-duh. Like, no shit, that's what life is like. However, Donald John Trump was born into the class that does not have that concerned. He had a trust fund created for him at an extremely young age and a trust fund that with extremely elementary investments made by the wealth advisor managing said trust, it would be invested in certain types of annuities that would be able to pay Donald John Trump an allowance of several hundred thousand dollars a month forever. Okay, This is non-taxable income. It's because it's not really income. You have a massive investment that you're annuitizing into monthly installments. You can do it in search a way to where the installments never run out. And if you have a principal sum that you're investing, investing as Trump's father did to help avoid paying taxes, he, that's the whole purpose that his father created the trust fund for Donald Trump. You could certainly have a sum, a massive sum, say $400 million in today's dollars, where he invests just a, a small, relatively small portion of it, maybe a quarter of it, in these fixed annuities and such. And easily, Donald John Trump could have a living allowance set up for him at an extremely young age that pays him several hundred thousand dollars a month in virtually tax-free, non, in non-taxable allowance. That is his living allowance. He could spend it as freely as he wants. It doesn't have to retain value. It doesn't matter. And then there's all this other money that he can also invest to create companies that eventually lose all the value. And then write off the money that he invested of his own off of his taxes and then if, it, if you know if that initial investment went up in value and then down and some time passed he can even claim a bigger loss even if his principal investment was marginal so yeah uh, lots of um, loopholes and kind of um, all kinds of system kind of parameters that protect the interests of the wealthy that Donald John Trump has fully taken advantage of for decades and was rewarded for his kind of being the embodiment of that, you know, different set of rules for the wealthy type of person. You know, he's wealthy, was born into the wealthy class, so he gets to live a wealthy life in perpetuity forever. His children will, his grandchildren, great, 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 great. It'll just go on and on and on and on and on. It does not matter what each of those generations contribute to society. Investments are secured for them. The wealth is able to transfer from generation to generation. Each generation, it grows massively, exponentially. Even if he himself and even others within his family are causing massive damage to society. It does not matter. He still just continues to increase 
these is his state values. In Donald John Trump's personal particular case, it seems that that ever-increasing estate value may finally be coming to an end, and maybe even some of those trust fund type stuff, you know, the hundreds of thousands that he a month that comes to him that props up his affluent life that he was born into. There's trust funds and certain things that were taken care of from it a long, long, long time ago that he's, I would assume and hope, that he, he almost can't even touch, that he, he doesn't even have access to certain types of things. And they referred to it as a blind trust before, and there's kid was meant, that's, it's the stuff that was set up for him when he was a kid. I'm sure there's a lot of that that has certain managers of those particular funds that make sure that he's able to live affluently, you know, but he can't actually access it personally or manage the funds because that, because, you know, obviously it would, the, the trust would be liquidated pretty quickly and there'd be nothing to show for it, you know. Just accumulating debt only works for so long. That is Trump's strategy, but at some point you gotta you got to pay the bill. And so the bills are coming due for that particular person. Uh, how long the Republican Party, one of two options, can, insists on sticking with that guy is remains unclear. Um you know, the percentage that's with Trump, it, it's it's held strong at 30-ish, whatever, according to polls. Whatever. When you're out and about, it seems like it's more like 1 in 30, I would say, that or less, that are truly like, whoa, yeah, hardcore, at least where I'm at. It's a quote-unquote blue state, so it just seems like the Trump folk just kind of keep it more to themselves. Maybe they'll identify as conservative without any thing on the thing but that like i'm on a do the dating site sometime if you see some lady and it says on there anything maga like in a pro sense that's pretty rare but if you see that yeah that's a that's a swipe left kind of thing no matter how pretty she is if she's pro maga in the year 2023 if it says conservative with no kind of explaining what that means i generally swipe left because I, I, I have no idea what that term means in the year 2023 uh it's a lot of parts of my life i'm pretty conservative about but other more liberal that that term is confusing because the conservative organization picked one donald john trump to be the president what does conservative mean you know like so that means advocating violence and a big, massive government that's meddling in all kinds of personal affairs and dictating to you what religion you're allowed to be. And so that, that's what conservative means. It's just, I, I, it seems that's what it came to mean over the Trump era. But it's like, how long does it go on? You know, this is our country. This is our lives, you know. And uh, one of the two options picked that guy. Because a bunch of people, God bless them, just didn't know any better or whatever or, or did know better and that's that's why they wanted it because they knew it was bad. I, I, don't, I don't really. I try to get into the, what's going on there, the mental gymnastics going on and a lot of folks that were the pro-Trump thing for many years and maybe still to this day. I don't, I don't, I, I don't get it, you know. I, I knew Trump was bad as like a little boy but bad in like a different way than some of the other really bad people that were on the news. Like, uh, it would be uh, like Ted Bundy was in the news sometimes. Remember when they caught Ted Bundy? It would make the news. You know, like, that's a pretty scary type of evil. There's some pretty 
evil, nefarious characters that would sometimes make the news throughout the 80s and 90s, real violent, evil fucks, you know, that were in here in the United States of America. There's certain types of evils that we've seen on the news and we just get sort of accustomed to seeing. Mass shootings, shooter, you know, that that's a... It's an existential kind of, you know, fear that type. People that provoke, that do that kind of thing. It, that's it's hard to even, that you know. Trump is a different type, I suppose, because it's it's less obvious. But if you've been watching the story all along, you know, he he was an advocate for, you know, corruption and greed and fraud and you kind of the seven deadly sins type of thing. He was kind of the physical embodiment of it. He's also for the United States of America, kind of a full public display of the very different set of rules for wealthy white people and everybody else. You know, he was born into a very particular class that afforded him certain privileges, and he liked to, you know, brag to the world about the kind of privilege that he had and was born with. And the the kind of you know, the discretion that it allowed him, you know, the corrupt way he can run businesses and basically get caught. But in order to be convicted in a, of an, in a criminal way, it's, it's it's difficult with white collar crime. But maybe just pushed it too far, you know. Finally, maybe, you know, I don't know. There's still to this day way too many millions of people that are loyal to the guy who is not loyal to them at all. I don't know why. They don't understand that. He's loyal to himself. He's barely loyal to his own family. Donald John Trump is not loyal to the United States of America. He would sell sections off if he, he could, you know, if it would mean resolving some sort of personal debt. He would he would sell off certain sections of the United States of America in a heartbeat, you know. He drove up the debt of the United States of America by massive amounts over his tenure. Massive amount. The de- deficit increased massively. But, you know, again, him and the Republican Party did, did it deliberately and willingly and on purpose. They cut revenue. First and foremost, let's bring in less money. That's a that's a good way to run a business, eh? We need to stop bringing in so much money right now while we're still spending what we are. First and foremost, let's bring in less money. Think about that. That's what they did six years ago. The biggest, most massively powerful entities, the people with the most money, let's make sure they don't have to pay in as much in taxes right off the bat. They already have virtually infinite wealth, but first and foremost, let's make sure they pay less in taxes. Let's we got to notch that off the belt right off the bat. We we got to get to that right away, and they did. Again, the entire Trump campaign was uh, you know. He's going to ban Muslims, and uh, they're going to build a wall in the, in the desert, and uh, Hillary Clinton's going to go to jail because she sent emails from a private ser- server, and then, uh, you know, Benghazi, and, uh, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, first order of business, though, back in 2017, just a few short months into Trump's tenure, wealthy people are going to pay less in taxes now, and so are big, massive corporations. Over the next several years, the federal deficit increases massively by trillions of dollars. Jeff Bezos is worth more money than he was six years ago. Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, they're all worth more money. Big massive entities, big massive corporations are worth more money now. 
you're a major shareholder in the big massive corporate sector, your portfolio is worth more money. Yeah. Well, the job's working for those corporations. Awesome. Spiritually fulfilling in any way? No. Many of them don't even pay a living wage. And they'll they'll pay politicians to spread a message to people that they somehow buy into that work should not pay you a living wage. That's not why you work. You work to why do you work again? Isn't it to earn a wage? To earn a living? Isn't that why we work? No, you need to work because that's what you got to do because you're young and don't have an education yet that you're going to have to pay for to get. Huh. Yeah, public parties, like, it's like what they are advocating for. It's like, I, I don't know how it possibly appeals to people that are outside of the Watson Fox News, Sinclair Broadcasting, InfoWars, Breitbart, every single day. If you ain't into that stream, it's like, how does the Republican Mars message get to you? Here's their uh, what they're advocating for. And they well, again, they already did it six years ago. Tax cuts for the wealthy, tax cuts for corporations. Use the power of the federal government to protect one very particular person, Donald John Trump. Many Republican operatives feel that's first and foremost on their agenda as well. Donald John Trump, you know, and a free citizen currently, but facing various criminal charges, no longer the president currently, has the right to counsel, and he's hired re counsel, legal counsel. But Jim Jordan is a congressman from Ohio, and that's first order of business, is Donald John Trump needs legal help. So Jim Jordan is going to come to his rescue while he's still an active congressman. He's not going to resign first and then take a job at a law firm to help protect the interests of Donald John Trump which he can certainly choose to do. No, he's going to use his power as a federal congressman, U.S. congressman, to be the legal counsel. But in a kind of a weird, subverted way, he's trying to just interject into the whole system and kind of flip the whole process upside down. Uh, very clownish, stupid-looking act. Uh, it'd be nice if that guy would just go, resign, vote it out in, in an ex expeditious way. But... You know, I'm not going to hold my breath. But there's a lot of good, hard-working folk in Ohio. Met some uh, good people from Ohio over the years. Be cool if that, uh, I mean, that, that that's like one of those battleground states, if quote-unquote, if you were. But that's a, definitely one that's not properly represented by the Electoral College. You know, some of these quote-unquote purple states. Ones where there's some of the others are, you know, it's like 55 voting R. Sometimes it's like 45% voting R. So the Electoral College can't really represent those states properly. It never does. It never chooses to. It never kind of, sort of, kind of splits the Electoral College vote to properly represent how that state's voting. It's all or nothing, you know. And that's, of course, how Trump got in. There's a few states that normally solidly vote red or whatever, but didn't quite solidly go. He's just kind of barely etched out some victories here and there with ones that he... Normally, the Republican can win pretty solidly, but he didn't there. There was wavering. There was people that vote Republican normally that still can't vote Democrat that went constitutionalist or something or libertarian. This just did not vote Trump. 
Who are you voting for? What are you voting for? Voting for Trump is a vote for American fascism. And it, it it's really way past the time of being wishy-washy about it. I was getting kind of alarmist about it as his campaign was happening, and he's advocating violence, and he's the only one that can do anything. He's the only one that can, and he's quoting Mussolini. You know, I go to his rally, and it's it's like attempts at being humane, but it's weird and clunky. You know, just being at it at the Trump rally in Spokane and selling snacks and sodas to the MAGA folk. The experience of that was surreal and weird. It's like, we can't have that guy as a leader of our country. It's like, he's very famous and wealthy. I get it. But, you know, the TV show he was the host of for a while became a big hit. But then he, he fucked it up by starting to say really racist stuff. So the network canceled his show and started looking in a different direction. His replacement tried to fill in the format, but his replacement is a real legitimate business guy, so the format didn't really work for him. The Apprentice was kind of a clown show because Donald John Trump was not a successful business person. Arnold Schwarzenegger is. That's why he did not work as a host of The Apprentice because The Apprentice was silly, stupid shit. Quasi-business stuff. Its host is Donald Trump. I'm not a successful business person. Hence... Putting the successful business person as the host of the Donald Trump star vehicle show isn't really going to work. You know, you got to create a show specifically to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think they, they tried to uh, fit him into Trump shit. It's like his shoes are Trump. You know, Schwarzenegger's way too big. He's, he's bigger than Trump's shoes. The, 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 the format was too small and narrow for Schwarzenegger or something. You know, it's like, anyway. I'm looking forward to the day when the Trumpism thing will go, because I, I was uh, legit burnt out on hearing about Trump in the news way back before many people who voted for him in 2016 were even, you know, alive, you know, or like earliest, earliest days, you know. So I was graduating high school, the, the, that sixth bankruptcy thing was making the news, the, the Trump Taj failure, I think that was a few years earlier, so it's, it, the string of failures and all the stories of his fuck-ups and stuff, they get kind of blurry altogether, and it was just like, as I was graduating high school, though, it was presented as, he's done, you know, U.S. banks are stop lending him money, but then, you know, as a few short later, he's back, I was burnt out enough and tired of hearing about the guy, and was just wish he would go away, when he was just a D-list celebrity that was on the news a bunch, and then when he became the host of a game show, you know, but it's gone on long enough, you know, the Republican Party, the organization that picked that guy, needs to start facing some restitution, some, some, some kind of restitution, I'm using the wrong word there, shit, some kind of uh, consequence, you know, they can't alienate the masses this badly for this long, make the public almost completely apathetic to the process. And, and get away with it. You know, th there needs to be a lively turnout this next election. They're doing their darndest, the Republican Party, is to make it as difficult as possible to vote. They don't want people voting. They do not want to make it easy to vote. That it does not play into their favor. There's only so many people that watch Breitbart, Sinclair Broadcasting, Fox News, Infowars, etc. It's a sizable chunk of the populace, you know. But it's certainly in everybody, and it certainly isn't the majority. So, you know, if you're not 
pro-tax cuts wealthy, pro-tax cuts corporations. If you're against a government that's like, you know, a government of one Donald John Trump, if you're not for that, well, then you got to make sure you're registered to vote and vote in a different direction. And there's a wide variety of directions to go. There's many candidates on the ballot. Check them out. Find out who they are. You know, and if uh, you really have a certain affinity for people with ours next to their name, read their bios, read their statements. How do they vote on stuff? How do they want to vote for stuff? Get some clarity. If there's no explanation in 2023 for a person that has an R next to their name, well, they're, yeah, they're not getting my vote. That organization has, it, it went too far. It got became farcical. So that organization currently, as an entity, it has no principles. It has no center. It, it, I have no idea what it's, what is it trying to do to represent the interest of people? None of what they are doing represents people as a whole, you know. They're saying stuff and creating laws that a certain segment of the population really loves, but they're completely alienating everyone else and creating a very divisive populace. And they're doing it, they seem to be doing it deliberately and purposely, you know, agitating and, and, and then encouraging violence or at least picking candidates that are advocates for violence and stuff. And it's just, we need more, a much le- better level of participation in the voting. Um, we, we just need to vote that kind of thinking out. You know, we need more options in there. If it means new organizations are created, whatever, you know. But we just need more competition when it comes to leadership because the, the organization that is the conservative option still currently presented in the news and such, they just uh, they got a little lackadaisical and they got arrogant uh, because it's bipartisanship. It's one or the other. So that flip-floppy kind of either or option they, they just took too much advantage of you know it, it's it's the you know Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals every election or something and but and but so, but it's like sometimes they get to switch uniforms or something sometimes it's like one side looks a little more inept or something but it's like or maybe a analogy of like two stored franchises but just just two teams in a league and they just compete in the championship every year, no matter what. And that's it. It's just a two-team league. You know, it's kind of tough to really buy into that when you when you see the competition in sports and stuff. The number of teams are in each league in each respective sports. And for our political league, we have two, two teams. One from the left, quote-unquote, and one from the right. And they every year battle it out in the championship. And that's it. That's 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 what we get for our political league, if you will, in the United States of America, too. Everyone, all the other, you know, teams, if you will, political teams, political organizations are considered kind of like minor leagues or something. But it's like, who designates? Because they're, is it just like how much money they have? They have to pay for advertising? It's like, why does news need to get paid by entities or something? Like, who decides which of these teams are politically relevant, you know, and we got to, it's like, we need to open up the gates a little bit more. Our politically league in the United States of America needs to be more than two teams. You know, we need more teams in there and truly competing 
yeah, it'll cause more people to have to choose. And yeah, we're going to have to like tally up all the votes type thing and just see who the winner is. But yeah, like we obviously just need more options. The bipartisan thing can't work anymore. It, it can't work anymore. It's like the the fallacies in that reveal themselves in the Trump era. It's one, if one of the two, either one, it doesn't matter, doesn't respect the position they're in to hold their organization with some level of dignity, understanding that it, it's either or. So you have a 50-50 shot of being the one in power. And if you're not in the power, you probably still have a fair amount of power, even as a majority, minority power, you know. You have a certain obligation to the, to, you know, the people, to the republic, either side, whatever your ideology is, to stay somewhat centered, you know, pragmatic, sensible. Republican um, Party leadership did not, in pursuit of personal power and long, longer political careers, they gave up on all that kind of stuff. With Santos, he, he's still able to represent New York right now, even though he lied to his constituents in order to get elected. The Republican Party as an organization is not going to do anything about it because, well, Santos is voting for the objectives that the leadership within the Republican Party support. Tax cuts for wealthy, tax cuts for corporations, that kind of stuff. Cutting funding to investments in the people. That's the modern-day organization. That is what they do. You know, there's there's too many uh, too much government red tape on those uh, wealthy people trying to expand their estate, and that's a deep concern to the Republican Party. There's a lot of people that are very much complaining about government oversight for the factories they own, having to implement safety standards. That that would suck. That would cost too much money. Yes, it'll mean more of the workers working there will have fewer injuries and safety hazards and stuff, but that costs money for the owner. And that means possibly a, you know, a smaller profit margin going into their pocket. Republican Party is an organization that protects those specific types of people. And again, in order to do that and stay elected, that's where rhetoric comes in. That's where the saying stuff. Unfortunately, sometimes the saying stuff does indeed result in actual action. You know, like decades, Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. And so the debate over you know, whether it's bad or good or whatever, it, you know, one side that would call themselves pro-life would say that they believe that life begins at conception. And so it's an interesting philosophical discussion. The easiest way to describe me is uh, I would say I'm Christian. And so I'm very pro-life, but do not support government man punishing women because she needed to go to the doctor. I don't really understand how that's possibly empathetic at all. How is that possibly empathetic? It doesn't make any sense. Don't agree with abortion and think it's bad, so don't get one. Offer alternatives, education, fine. Do your best darndest advocacy to sway people to make their own choice one way or the other. That's fine. That's called freedom of speech. Like that, I think they're just frustrated that their advocacy or whatever you want to call it, they're they're speaking for decades. It didn't make it, like, go away, so now they tried to force it. Certain women are going to face criminal consequences because they needed to go to the doctor. And that's going to be the pro-life. Huh? Yeah. yeah. The 
because the, the problem is now with the most recent change, certain states banning a medical procedure that only affects certain women in a certain condition. The defense of that law isn't, you believe life begins at conception. You're going to have to come up with a better defense that why do you agree with government man harassing, intimidating, and, and punishing women because she had a medical procedure that she needed to get. You don't understand why the need and why is it government man's business or whatever, but yeah, woman needed to go to the doctor, needs to go to the doctor, but you feel that certain women should get government man to intervene and to stop them. Even if government man doing that is a risk to women's health. Government man should know why woman is going to a doctor. Government man needs to know. Every time. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's areas of the country where people voted for that kind of thing. Or they at least were saying stuff before, but now the actual law as written is basically a selectively enforced law specifically designed to oppress women. Government man knows what's in the best interest of women, uh, so he is going to punish woman if she steps out of line and does something that he disagrees with. She needs to go to the doctor. Why is not really any of our business or really any of government man's business, but government man in certain areas of the country has decided that it is his business why woman is going to the doctor. And the people who support that kind of thing are going to say, I believe life begins at conception. That is fascinating. Wow. So you support government man selectively enforcing which women will face criminal consequences for going to the doctor. Um, and it's happening. Wealthy white women are less subject to the criminal prosecution part because they can retain legal counsel. You are innocent until proven guilty in this country. So you had a woman needs to go to the doctor. She goes to the doctor. Later, government man finds out. Could charges be pressed? I, I guess in certain parts of the country where that medical procedure has been now deemed illegal. She needed to get it, so she got it somehow, some way. You know, she found a safe way to get it. The procedure she needed to get. She needed to get. Why did she need it? It's not really any of our business or any of your business or government man's business especially. But in those areas, if government man does find out, that woman may face criminal consequences. Yeah. And some of them, the states are trying to write it real, real specifically six weeks and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, why does government man know that much about very specific stuff about how far along every specific woman in a state is. Like, what's going on there? Does woman need to declare if she's sexually active? Does she need to declare to government man anytime she buys a pregnancy test and what the results are? Like, how, how soon does government man need to know that woman is sexually active and may become pregnant? And how soon does, if she is pregnant, does, does she need to notify government man? And so he's going to be checking up on her daily. If it's revealed that she's no longer pregnant, then there needs to be an investigation as to why, I guess, in those areas where that medical procedure is now 
illegal. Supreme Court said, yeah, it's perfectly fine for states to do this. We're, we're going to step aside. Um, we, you know, because some of the new conservative judges has been talking for a year about their disdain for abortion. How you, you know, but that's all fine and dandy saying you don't like it and whatever, blah, 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 trying to advocate against it, yada, yada, using your right to speak free speech. Yep, yep, yep. Great. Buying the billboards and everything with a smiling little baby in clothes, a real live baby, and then, you know, words next to it saying that abortion is bad. Great. Keep doing it. Fine. But whatever. The problem is now there's this law that's selectively enforced that Republicans created in certain areas that's deliberately cruel on minority women and poor women. It kind of selectively enforces it on them. Again, wealthy white women in certain areas of the country that have voted to ban abortion. If she needs to get an abortion, she'll go and get one. She may even ret retain legal counsel as she's getting the abortion, just to be sure, just to be just in case government agents somehow find out that she needed to get this procedure done. Yeah, Most likely, wealthy white lady in areas where abortion has been deemed illegal will be able to get the procedure safely and effectively without government intervention, without government man trying to stop her. However, again, poor women, women of color, and possibly even rape victims will not be subject from this lack of intervention from government man. Government man will be intervening in their case, or, or at least attempt to, um, without advocacy groups kind of defending these women and helping them out and make sure they can get the care they need. Government man is not worried about their care. You know, he, he feels a certain ownership of what's inside the woman's body. And, and he has a right to know, he has a right to stop her from getting medical you know, medical treatment that she needs. He has a right to stop that, he says. And he, he created that law many years ago in certain parts of the country, and he even got a certain percentage of women, not certainly nowhere near a majority, but a certain percentage of women in those states to go along with it. I don't know how long they do, understanding what its true intent and purpose is. It's for government man to have power over woman. That That's its purpose. Yeah. That's what it's about. It doesn't have anything to do with saving babies. It's not pro-life. You want a pro-life law that's about saving babies? Maternity leave. Mom was, you know, pregnant for nine months. Arduous labor, many hours of labor and such. Now it's to take care of a little baby. There's a lot of going on there. Okay, so she gets some time off. No, says the pro-life crowd. We need to put women in jail because they went to the doctor. That costs money, of course, but... Pre-K, health, you know, nutrition programs, investment in babies, yes? Pro-life? That, that's what it means, right? Investment in babies, investment in people. Healthcare is a right. Education is a right. Yeah? Yeah? Right? Uh, no, no. In this country, it means that women should go to jail because they needed to have a medical procedure done. Huh. It's an odd slogan to describe being anti-abortion to the point of criminalizing abortion as it has been done in certain states. We're, we're a little past the your defense of women going to jail for having a medical procedure is you believe life against yourself. Oh, it's a selectively enforced law because now we're getting into biology and stuff and it's government man meddling in that and it, you know, well, again, 
all respect to the believing life begins at conception statement. That's it's a fascinating idea. Okay, but now real life people's lives are being fucked with. You know, government man is fucking with women because he feels like he has the power to do so. He has more power than women. He should subjugate certain women specifically. And that's what he is doing. And that was that's why the law was created, really. You know, and we got to stop allowing it. You know, it's 2023. Okay, we got to get away from this fascism, authoritarian, you know, cruel government. We need to start getting away from it. We need to start being more empathetic. Healthcare should be a right. You know what a hospital is? Where medical staff work and they cure the sick? We should have those places. And especially in areas where there's lots of human beings living, there should be hospitals there with medical staff that take care of the human beings and cure them when they get sick. That would be a really neat idea. We know what they cost. You know, we know what salaries of medical professionals are. You know, we know what the cost of a hospital is. We, all, we know what the costs are, so... Let's do it. Let's have that. Yeah. And if we the people decide that that's what we want, well, then that's what we'll do. How a specific sector of the economy works that out, you know, that's currently charging us a fee every month to have the right of not paying a, as big a bill when we do get a hospital bill. Yeah, that, that particular product is not going to be as much in demand once healthcare is a right. That should not be the main concern, though, of a political organization, but it is the main concern of the Republican Party. They are most concerned with how do health insurance companies continue to sell health insurance if we have hospitals that are all right to go to, that are funded correctly, directly. You know, When people get sick, they go and get healed without having to pay this for-profit middleman. Uh-oh. What happens to our product? We're going to have to have to differentiate. We're going to have to sell different types of insurance products in order to maintain our profit margin that we primarily use to pay dividends to the shareholders and massive bonuses to the execs, millions of dollars a year. How do we continue to do that if people don't have to pay to go to a hospital? Uh-oh. Yeah, what happens to health insurance companies? Aren't we so worried? They're multi-billion dollar entities. How do they continue to retain a profit and pay out massive monies to a small group of people? That's its purpose. I mean, that, that's why it was created. That's its specific purpose as a corporate entity is to earn a profit and to pay out dividends to the shareholders. Yes, the owners of that company should be quite alarmed by if that company has not done anything over the last many years to come up with new different types of insurance products. You know, there's, there is disability income, long-term care. There might be an increased demand for those. I'd start marketing those up pretty good. People might have freed up any monies for different types of life insurance products like whole life, well, term life, whole life, universal life, and variable universal life. Yeah. There's still many types of insurance products to sell in an, in a society in which we have hospitals that are staffed with medical professionals that we fund directly so that when human beings get sick, they can go and get healed. And it doesn't fucking matter how much money they have. Why does your life have to be worth more because you were born into wealth? That means you get better care. 
you, you and not just better, but any. Well, you're poor, so you don't get health care. Why? Why do we do it that way? And then pretend that we're the land of the free and home of the brave? Truly free? You have the right to a good health and education. In a truly democratic society where you have the right to good health and education, there's plenty, 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 plenty of room for all kinds of businesses. Unique businesses, small businesses, the best kind, the one-off, the very specific restaurants that are one, one of one, you know, the local burger joint in the small town that makes, that's, you know, been there forever, but in this modern era has long since closed because, you know, it couldn't compete with uh, the eight different corporate locations selling not as good a burger, obviously, but, you know, whatever, one that's is cheaper. It's definitely a more robust economy in a society where the more basic type shit, basic kind of next level freedoms are, are truly available to the people. Health, education, you know, live your life, you know, get educated, you know, roam around. You don't have to just stay in one spot. If you want to, you can. This, these, the, this still to this day, like selling a factory jobs thing, you know, like, really? Is it really? There's so many people that just really buy into that. Oh yeah, yeah, factory. Yeah, because well, it's you know stable, predictable, or something. Is it? Expendable too, it seems like. Even union or not, but even that's part of it. Yeah, they start fucking with you too much, and well, the union's got to strike. Right. Yeah, those ones where it's just, they're just too big. It's just, this economic system right now just caters too much to big, massive interests. And there's there's a way to do it, whether you can collect revenues in just the right way, from s certainly the, the where to start, the big increases, is the surplus. So generating enough revenues to start covering covering basic investments in the peoples, start giving the people more choice. The capitalist aspects of our society will start working themselves out. The, the more unique, dynamic businesses will start revealing themselves. You know, these big massive entities that just sort of plow through towns, just they just sort of come hell or high water. You know, there's the, the people want that thing to really be there? The new, you know, is your town really just dying to have the new Walmart? I guess there are some places maybe really clamoring to get their Walmart. There's not enough and you know, the nearest one so far don't want to go to the local grocery store that's been there for 80 years or something. We'd rather have a Walmart. I'd rather take the local grocery store. It's refreshing to see towns that still have the kind of like the smaller kind of regional stores that are still around, that might be kind of a co-ops are still around. It'd be awesome to see more co-ops. When more of the basic type stuff is covered, people have more opportunity freedom to invest in themselves. And, you know, this creates a more dynamic, unique society. The wealth class will still be wealthy, even if the wealth taxes and marginal taxes and the state taxes and all that kind of stuff. 
the stuff you hear about on Fox News, and they really gloom and doom, and what's that, and Ryan or whatever, she's a person that the conservatives really love, especially Paul Ryan, you can appropriately tax the wealthy. The, 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 our society doesn't come into top people because billionaires are, well, still billionaires, but not quite as billionaire The idea that that would somehow cause complete catastrophe because the small group of people who have exorbitant amounts of money may not have quite as much money in a fairly near future. That, that, that's not something to be calamitous about, you know, because that, that's really the extent of the sort of negative a small group of people who have massive ownership stake, their ownership stake will start to slowly decrease over a fairly short period of time. And for some of them, it may even be a fairly quick reduction, but they'll still be way up there in the top 2%. So that's the sort of negative, quote-unquote. Positive is massive revenues generated to cover immediate investments and people doing all the work that generates all the revenue that is the economy. The people owning these entities, they, they get all the credit, most of the credit. They, they created the entity initially, it's, but it's you know, millions of hours of labor hours that get it done, you know, that make it happen. Without those labor hours, there is no entity. It's just, it's just pieces of paper and then, you know, big empty buildings, inventory going bad, you know. The entire our entire economy is very much built on the foundation of it is a big vast working class and uh, the entity sometimes our working class is so vast that we can have an unemployment it can kind of fluctuate a little bit but it kind of requires a pretty high percentage of the folks to be constantly working and all that activity all that all that revenue generated the vast bulk of it is owned by a, a relatively tiny group. And they're the ones that got the tax cut six years ago. The ones that already own the greatest ownership stake in the economy. So that group needs to have their tax rates go up, not down. At the very minimum, they need to go back to what they were before, but they should have gone up that, you know, six years ago. That would have been a bold move. That'll help offset the deficit, get it more fiscally conservative. There's, if there's spending cuts, there's probably spending cuts to be had, but they're not on uh, investments in the people. We don't need to cut investments in the people. There's, but there's you know superficial. There's plenty of fluff in some of the investments, but there's plenty that's just meat and potatoes, nuts and bolts kind of stuff. You know, Clean Water Act, EPA, those kind of FDA. You can't have a purely capitalist society in our country of our size. Just pure whoever has the most money, just do whatever the fuck they want. No, 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 no. That that will not work clearly and obviously. We're way too individualistic of a society. So we have to have some kind of basic kind of parameters. So you can get really, really wealthy. Really, even with wealth taxes, estate taxes, marginal taxes, there is no cap to earnings. There's no cap to your wealth. It, you, can, you can get exorbitant, and we could have a society where people that need just have to spread their state a bit. They can't, but they're, 
You can have it to where once you get to those upper, upper levels, uh, we can start kind of reining it in a bit. Um, each individual human with so much massive money, only the, each subsequent generation of them, an ever-expanding number of them with that amount of wealth, can, can only spread their estates so much on a round planet finite in size, you know, with ever-increasing impacts of their ever-increasing estate that reveals how it is increasing in size more and more, you know, where it comes from, you know, so, and then it seems to be like, well, that's kind of the purpose of all us working so much, so that the tippy-tippy top group can expand their estate, so, you know, we got to... <laughs> We got to get a, a little bit more balanced foundation here, you know. You, you know, so there's still plenty of room for capitalism and business and all that kind of stuff. Having hospitals and schools that are publicly funded doesn't mean we're suddenly a socialist country where everyone earns the same amount of money and there's no business. That, that, that that's just a, a very strange and stupid argument. I don't get how a major political organization has been able to use that as their justification to cut taxes for the wealthy and then to cut investment into the people. That's their that's their argument because that would be socialism if we did that. You know, if we had hospitals where people can go and get healed, we'd be socialist, and, and there'd be no business. Like what? No, no, there'd be more business. We'd be more capitalist. You kind of a barely a, a tightly confined of this. You know, healthcare, education, boom. Then then you can sell private education and private healthcare too as well. But you have you know, robust investment in healthcare and education, the infrastructure type stuff. And then what grows from that is a, a wide plethora of business, you know, but uniquely small businesses is ones that can kind of really find a niche in that where your right to good health and education is, is a right, you know, what develops from a higher percentage of the max masses being able to access a higher education regardless of what the socioeconomic standing is i mean what that yields is hard to truly quantify because we're talking about people and imagination and mixing of different types of peoples you know and ideas and yeah so it would be pretty innovative yeah we, we that, that's that's like you know next moving next level of society type stuff you know not trying to stay in the 19th century which is what Donald John Trump was offering. Let's go way, way, way backwards, is what he was offering. Make America great again like it was kind of when slavery was legal. That's how he got elected. A law that was created when slavery was legal said we should tally up the votes of each state and then declare a winner for each respective state, basically, and then get a very specific number for each state. Very conv convoluted and stupid, and the whole purpose was to appease slave states back in the day. And so that law is what picked Donald Trump. Yeah. So we, we got a lot of clunky kind of stuff on our system that we got to fix. We got to get rid of that electoral college stupid thing. The whole coastal state, when people start getting into weird... You know, tangents on where you live and stuff. Like, who gives a no, no, wait, whoa, whoa. It's President of the United States of America, all 50 states, 300 million plus people, including the people that aren't registered to vote. 
Blame the people that are too young to vote. You're still representing them, too. It don't really matter what specific state or something they live, why they live in a city or rural. Yes, so you register to vote and then vote. Then we're going to tally up all the votes, and then whoever has the most, they're the winner. Stop getting sidetracked into where people live. People tend to vote this way, though, if they live here. They tend to. Okay, tend to. Okie dokie. Uh, what does that mean? What? Yeah, you know, yeah, we're a big, big, massive country, all kinds of folks, and sometimes there's certain perception of folk that live in a certain area, but then there's folks that live in that area that aren't that perception. Yeah, I know. Right. So, everyone register to vote, Then if you register to vote in the presidential election, you vote, and then we tally up all the votes, and then the one with the most, that's, that's how the, they become the president. Yeah, that would be way, way simpler. And then you, you, the catch, too, there is you actually get to announce the true winner on election night. Um, the way we've been doing it for years is we sort of announce a winner on election night that's not truly the winner yet because the actual vote to truly certify that person being the winner doesn't happen for 30 days later. So that was weird in 2016 when Trump has declared the winner and you see that you look at the number and it's like, Wait a minute, his, his number is 5 million smaller of the vote that just happened. The, the vote that they're saying is going to declare him the winner, that, that's, that's a future vote that hasn't happened yet. You know, like, that, that's just a pure prediction. The, well, we, we predict his, it's the electoral college, his vote is, so we think that Trump is now the president-elect. Wait, no, no, no. Electoral college? Why are we even talking about the electoral college on election night? That's in 30 days. Electoral college is a specific vote. That's 30 days after the vote of the people. There's all kinds of differing state laws within each one. Sometimes they say an electoral college voter can vote against you know, the, the candidate that picked them to be a voter in their respective state. Some say they can't. So, but generally speaking, they, vote, they tend to vote in unison. But it is a, a group of voters in each state that do indeed vote. And they, generally speaking, do indeed vote for one respective candidate, the candidate that picked them to be the voters. It's dumb. It's so weird that we're still doing it in 2023 because we have enough kind of the clunky, you know, the Senate. That that's that's that kind of clunky, goofy kind of thing that's like, you know, certain areas have like. You know, combine like 10 senators and then the total population is less than certain cities that where the, that state also has two, just two. You know, each state only gets two, no matter what. So that, and it's something that leans into the Republicans' favor. And it's something that they try to use to justify the Electoral College, too. It's like, well, but certain people living here tend to vote for us more because of, the type of region that it is or something, the type of media that's out there. It just gets, uh, oh no. Let's see more stir in the pot, more options being presented. Hopefully, uh, yields to my own, uh, personal things improving as well. So anyway, Make sure you register to vote. Stay safe out there. God bless. This is Gary.
They're going to laugh.